Or you want to run the story? You got five hours until eight o'clock. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Weekend Review. Here's your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Weekend Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Evelyn Homily about the new Netflix adaptation of Jane Austen's Persuasion, Eric Tedder about the new Charger logo, Logan Washburn about the news of the city this week. Also in the Collegian this week is a story about the revival of Sigma Alpha Iota, a women's music fraternity on campus. Last semester, members told the Collegian that they were going to disband due to low membership. But once some alumni read that article, they came together to provide funds and resources for the current member, keeping the chapter that's been on Hillsdale's campus since 1925 alive a little longer. Also featured is a story about the saga of Saga, the history behind Saga and why we call it what it is, even though no company called Saga has managed our dining hall in more than 10 years. Read the story to find out about how you can find romance, friendship, and religious warfare all in the dining hall. Also in the Collegian this week is a story about 2018 Hillsdale alumna Tori Hope Peterson and her new book, Fostered. Fostered is a memoir, and in it she talks about her experience growing up in foster care and in a troubled home. It's an inspiring story about finding faith in family, despite her hardships. This is Lauren interviewing Evelyn Homily, the assistant city news editor of The Collegian, and she wrote a review of Netflix Persuasion. So tell me a little bit about this article you wrote. Absolutely. So I must admit, I was a little um, naively hopeful when it came to this movie. Um, I had seen a lot of Netflix remakes of different period dramas, um, especially their success with Bridgerton. So I was a little bit hopeful when it came to this remake of Persuasion. Um, and I'm a, you know, full disclosure, I'm a huge Austin fan. And I love the books. Persuasion is probably my favorite book. Um, I think it's one of the most widely misunderstood books as well when it comes to Austin. It's her most mature novel. It was actually published after she died. So it is a very, I would say, specific Austin novel, very difficult to remake on film. Um, But I was so incredibly disappointed with this film and kind of flesh through the different um, political connotations to this film um, in the article, but also just some of the other things that are wrong specifically with this remake um, of an Austin novel. How does this movie compare to Netflix seasons of Bridgerton? So I would say the most different thing is the starting material of each of these um, movies or the series in the case of Bridgerton. So obviously we all know for any Austin novel, they were actually written in the late 1800s to early 1900s. So they're very accurate. Um, Austin specifically wrote them to reflect just womanhood and femininity in the age of kind of that turning of the century in England. And it has a ton of just social satire that um, we are very different than today. And I think Bridgerton are just, they're honestly very trashy, you know, kind of modern day romance novels. And so the very starting material is so different. So the kind of mocking satirical undertone of the Bridgerton series is very fitting considering that that was the starting material. But the tone that Netflix takes with Persuasion is just not really fitting for the more serious kind of very historically accurate uh, material of Austen novels. Tell me a little bit about Jane Austen's Anne Elliot and then Dakota Johnson's portrayal of her. 
Absolutely. I would actually say that's one of the most alarming things with um, Netflix's portray- uh, portrayal of Anne Elliot. So she's a more, I would say, just complex and unique Austin character. She's similar to Mansfield Park's Fanny Price. Um, so when we think of Austin, we typically think of Pride and Prejudice. And um, the main heroine of that story, who is Elizabeth Bennett, she's very outspoken. She's very headstrong, confident in herself. And that's what we typically think of today when we think of, you know, the strong girl boss, feminine woman. And Austin realized that not every woman is like that. Um, and Anne Elliot perfectly portrays that. She's quiet. She is very introspective. She's mature because at this point, she would be considered a spinster in um, early 19th century England because she's about 20 or 29 and she's single. She's living with her family, taking care of her uh, nieces and nephews and her sisters. And so she is very unique in this way. She's very mature. She grieves the loss of her fiance, who she was forced to kind of, you know, break things off with. And she grieves that in private versus Dakota Johnson. She's very just mocking. She's rolls her eyes. She has all of this kind of inside jokes with the audience. And she looks directly at the audience in the film. It's very, a very awkward film to watch. Some of the girls I was watching with uh, the movie with said that it kind of felt like therapy at some points, like modern day. She's laying down on a couch, crying, talking to her best friend. And it just almost feels like a mocking of this character rather than really understanding what makes her complex and interesting and honestly just relatable. How does this movie highlight many contradictions of the modern day feminist agenda? Great question. This is something that I was just thinking a lot about when I was looking at this movie, because I think that Netflix tried to kind of right a lot of the wrongs of the 19th century and just a lot of the things that the first wave feminist movement tried to combat, which was, you know, the the lack of social place for women, the lack of political power for women the complete lack of any financial independence. And I think it's almost embarrassed of a lot of those flaws of the 19th century. And so it tries to combat that through just a very obvious, very kind of fake feeling feminist perspective of Anne Elliot. She was not like that at all in the book. Um, She was very content with just her place in society, but she at the same time was wanting a very beautiful romance. She wanted Wentworth, who was her former fiance, to pursue her. She at one time actually accused him of, and men in general, of forgetting their feelings more quickly than women. And this book really brought about just a very beautiful admission from Wentworth that men do feel just as much as women do, but they often you know, communicate that differently and have a different timeline with that. And so it was a very beautiful kind of meeting of the minds between men and women in the 19th century. And Dakota Johnson's and really just she, she says, who needs romance when one has family? But she hates her family. And she spends the whole time laughing at them and mocking them and complaining about them. But then she complains that Wentworth didn't pursue her. So she doesn't need a man, but yet she does. And it just highlights a lot of those different contradictions um, of a person trying to be content and happy, but still realizing that she wants that relationship and she wants um, to be married. What are some of the biggest differences between Jane Austen's Anne and Netflix's Anne? So I would say a lot of the differences are just the character portrayal. She's not supposed to be sarcastic and kind of a girl boss and I don't need anyone and I hate my family. And there are certainly a lot of those emotions in the book, but she is a very emotionally stable woman who is grieving. She's grieving that loss, but she does it in a way that's very dignified and private and mature and she doesn't mock her family. She tries to support them through the hardships and she tries to serve. She's very selfless, but she has a very long enduring love and it's very deep. It surpassed eight years without communication 
And the movie just really does not even try to portray that at all. Their love um, between Wentworth and Anne just feels very stunted. It feels very fake and artificial. And I think Netflix had a great opportunity to produce something that could be very meaningful to a lot of young women today. And they really just tried to portray their political correct agenda instead of actually kind of reading into what makes this specific Austin character so unique and so relatable to a lot of women today. How do you think Jane Austen would react to this movie? I think she would have cried. I think she would have not enjoyed it at all. Honestly, I and a lot of other Austen fans just ranted for you know 30 minutes to an hour because it was just so terrible in so many different aspects. I mean, you have the aspects of just 19th century English life, and then you have the very things that make Austen so memorable and so loved as a writer and as just, you know, that coming of age kind of woman who is entering that intellectual sphere, um, her wittiness, her social satire, but also just her beautiful prose and her way of really making women kind of have a place in that social sphere. So I think she would have been very disappointed and angry. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Evelyn. Thank you. You're listening to The Collegian Week in Review. I'm Maddie Welsh, and I'm here with Eric Tedder, a Collegian freelancer. And this week, he wrote a story for the sports section about the history of the Charger logo. Eric, tell me a little bit more about this story. Oh, I'm so glad you asked, Maddie. Um, actually, so the Collegian approached um, approached us with a story and and kind of um, gave us the put the the bug in our ear that the Charger logo had a much more interesting past than um, just teeth, which seems to be the, uh, the largest and most controversial issue of the, of the new logo, I guess, but kind of set us on this path that, hey, the logo is more than just a, an icon. It's actually a representation of really over 100 years of Hillsdale history, both in and outside the athletic department. And so the really cool thing was this article was I got to, to really dig deep into the history of not only the Chargers, not only Hillsdale Athletics, but just Hillsdale College as a whole. Um, And as I mentioned in the article, I talked to some really, really fantastic people. There are three current Hillsdale students who, under the direction of Dr. Stewart, spent a whole summer doing research into, like, specifically the history of the Charger brand. Their displays up at the Roche Sports Complex is fantastic. Um, I talked to the designer of the new logo, Mr. Springer. He was a fantastic resource, and it was just great to dive into what was really a much more interesting history than I thought. And personally, as, like, a design logo nerd... I was just in heaven the entire time. What is one of the most interesting things that you learned about Hillsdale history while you were researching this? Um, Well, I would say my favorite personal anecdote that I had no idea about is that Hillsdale used to be rivals with Albion College. Um, We are no longer in the same conference as them, so that no longer is a thing. Um, But apparently for homecoming um, in the early 1900s, Hillsdale set up a funeral procession with a stretcher on which was laid the body of, quote, dear brother Albion. This um, body, the stretcher, mourners, and the president walked down to the post office, at which point the body was burned on a funeral pyre, and the president delivered a funeral oration. Um, And so that just kind of comforted me as far as however weird I think Hillsdale uh, traditions may be. Um, They have certainly been weirder in the past, and that was just kind of a really kind of funky, quirky what I want to say, representation of school spirit that I just think fits the Hillsdale essence very well. I've heard the Charger used to just be a live horse. Did you learn anything about that? I did. So um, the Charger logo, so before we were the Chargers, we were the Dales. Um, And then in the late 60s, 
people kind of started looking at, well, what is a Dale? That's super unclear. We should come up with a, a something or other that um, represents more of the values of what Hillsdale College is. And so the Alumni Association and some other smart people um, came up with, okay, let's have it be a horse and let's have it be a, actually, let's call it a charger um, because that's super cool and fast and strong and all these ideas that um, the college embodies and specifically athletics. Um, and so the idea of having the charger came before Hillsdale the horse. Um, so the they decided on the charger logo in 1968. And then in 1969 for homecoming, Hillsdale the horse was the guest of honor. Um, but people are like, oh, Hillsdale the horse, that's such an unoriginal name. Hillsdale the horse was named before the Chargers existed. Um, he was named for the 1957 Hillsdale football team, which did so well um, that his owner, who's from a tiny little town in Michigan, decided to honor the football team, honor this racehorse, actually, who raked in um, over $600,000 in winnings throughout his career, which in the mid-1900s is a lot of money. Um, he decided to name his horse after the Hillsdale football team because they went so they did so well for a small college team. And so then... Um, through the grapevine, Hillsdale College figured out, that, oh, there's actually a horse named Hillsdale. We'll come bring him to the homecoming. And they actually presented him with a, a varsity letter, um, the first kind of new Charger branded piece that, that Hillsdale had. So he was, he was part of the, the unveiling party of the new brand, you could say. The ultimate question, do you like the new Charger logo? That's a very good question. I would say I'm biased because I spent so much time talking to Mr. Springer, the designer of it, that I um, I learned a lot about kind of the, the reasons behind he made the design choices he did. And I would say knowing that, and I don't like the old logo, I'm going to be honest. I don't like the H with wings. I don't like the logos that existed in the past. And so in talking with him, I would say I do. Um, the teeth with the goatee sometimes does strike me a little odd. Um, not going to lie, but I would say in general, I think it's just a much more, he, he says that like, it makes people feel things like either you love it or you hate it, but you feel something about it. Whereas to me, the old logo is like, Oh, blah, I guess. I mean, someone got paid lots of money to design it, so I shouldn't really insult their work, but, um, uh, but I think it really captures the Hillsdale spirit in a lot of ways. And if people, if it's controversial, that means people are thinking about it and that's, that's what logos are meant to do. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Eric. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Collegian Week in Review. This is Lauren, and I'm interviewing Logan Washburn, the City News Editor of the Collegian. Thank you for joining us today, Logan. Thanks for having me on the show. I always enjoy it. We had some pretty interesting stories in the City News section this week. What was your favorite one? I think we had a great selection of stories this week. Um, I had a couple of favorites. Um, I always like hearing about local politics, and so we had a piece by Josh Hypes on the mayor's race between Rondi Butcher and Mayor Adam Stockford. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I noticed it's already heating up in the city of Hillsdale. But something a lot of local residents have noticed as well is that there were two trains that made a visit to Hillsdale this past weekend. Um, Saturday and Sunday, Two trains from Ohio made trips into downtown Hillsdale where they made about a three-hour three layover and they had 25-minute rides to other parts of Michigan from Hillsdale for the local residents. I believe this is something that's going to go on for a while now. 
Um, they already have an October trip scheduled, and I think they have some others that they're going to try to get in as well. Going back to the mayor election, can you tell me a little bit about Stockford's opponent? What does she do? What's her history like? I know there's a little bit of controversy about a criminal record that was addressed in the article. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. So Rondi Butcher is priding herself on being an outsider in the community. She hasn't really held political office before, but she's run several Facebook pages and connected with the community that way. Um, She also prides herself on changing her character because at one point I think she was um, struggling with certain substances and she was actually arrested for theft. But she said that she is an imperfect person and that those who hold perfection as the highest standard should not vote for her. But she really prides herself on having changed since then, and she hopes that as an outsider she'll have interesting perspectives on ways to bring unity to the city council. Tell me a little bit about Representative Andrew Fink introducing a bill to ban sanctuary cities. So he actually introduced this back in June. Um, but he is now considering the fact that it may not make the House floor by the end of this session, and that even if it does, um, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer may not allow this to pass. So he re-emphasized at the end of this article that he may reintroduce it next session if it fails to pass, but he thinks that it's very important because the sanctuary city movement, as he put it, compromises our constitutional structure. And East Lansing, in particular, took steps this direction recently when they realized that they weren't under any more penalty from the Trump administration. There was also an article written about alumni opening a new family wellness center. What can you tell me about this? So this was a really interesting story. Um, Several alumni are now working at a new family wellness center that used to be the stadium roller rink. And... It's offering a very multifaceted approach to wellness for local residents. The center will offer a family clinic, basketball courts, a gym, things like that. Um, And a Hillsdale alumni who who is also the medical director for the Hillsdale Chargers is running that clinic. And I believe they're going to have a lot of great resources there. They're actually also opening a child care center for adults that are maybe working out there or adults that might just need childcare. So they're looking for volunteers to support that program. And then tell me a little bit more about the city of Hillsdale planning a downtown social district. So plans for this have been in the works for quite a while. The city council has been talking about it for a good bit here. Um, They're just now starting to have meetings about solidifying some of those plans. Um, Going forward, I think they need to have certain basic services laid down. But what the social district would do is remove regulations and allow people who buy alcohol at some of these businesses to take it out in the street. And it's supposed to foster community and a working relationship between these businesses to help the economy and just to help residents and make Hillsdale a better place. Thank you for joining us today, Logan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review with your host Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian on Twitter or Instagram at hdalecollegian, or you can find us online at hillsdalecollegian.com. Once again, you've been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.